Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people shall not come up with him. Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, all the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars according to the 12 tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, behold the, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and wait there that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment which I have written for their instruction. So Moses rose up, rose with his assistant Joshua, and Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for, seven day, for six days. And on the seventh day, he called out to Moses. He called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Exodus 24 verse 11 says, they beheld God and ate and drank. Father God, we long to behold you. We long to see you, to know your character, to know your Glory to know your goodness. Um, please reveal yourself to us. Draw us so that we might behold you in these words. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I wonder, as you look back to last weekend, um, the week that's gone by, did it feel any different? 
Last week, last week, this last week that went by, did you feel any difference? Because after all, Saturday, Saturday was a big day. It was the day of the coronation. Well, hundreds of years of tradition. Um, a thousand years of coronations. Hundreds and thousands of people. And yet for all of that, I wonder if your week last week was actually impacted at all much by what... Now, look, there are a couple of people here who work in the Houses of Parliament and they've got a few days off and things like that. But I wonder for most of us whether the events of last Saturday might have felt disconnected from the events of the rest of the week. Let me ask you the same question again, but this time not thinking about last Saturday, this time thinking about last Sunday. Did your week feel any different? Because in a similar way, just as on Saturday, on Sunday, those of us who were here, we sang songs. There was ancient liturgy. We heard the good news of a king. And yet, just as we look back on last Saturday, and it was wonderful, in the same way it could be that we look back on last Sunday and thought that was great, but in the same way, it kind of left my week pretty much untouched. And here's the thing, I wonder whether there's a temptation for many of us to think of our relationship with God a little bit like we think of our relationship with King Charles. So it might be that you know, we're there thinking, it's good to know there's someone there, there's someone in charge, someone who's great for special occasions. It's nice to know there's some tradition, maybe it's good for the kids. But actually, really, what impact does it make on the day-to-day? I mean, it could feel like, we could be regular churchgoers, we could consider ourselves a Christian, and that could be, as Christians, how we feel, that kind of disconnect. Or it could be that we're on the outside looking in, wondering what it is and, um, that, that Christians believe, and we could think that basically Christians are like those sort of royalist superfans. Those sort of, um, you know, they've got, they're really into it, they like to come, they like to celebrate it, they've got the books and they've got the memorabilia, but really, it might be a bit of an anachronism. Really, it's little more than sentimentality. I think for many of us, we think that our relationship with God is a bit like our relationship with King Charles. Well, this part of the Bible that we're looking at this morning, Exodus 24, takes us to a moment that is to picture for God's people, God's people then and us, God's people now, to picture for us the heart of what it is to have a relationship with God, what it is to have that relationship with God. We've been working through um, the book of Exodus and we got in chapter 19 to Mount Sinai, the encounter with God on the mountain where God says, look, I've saved you to bring, to bring you into a relationship with me. That's Exodus 19. And then Exodus 20 to 23, we've seen the shape of that relationship with God. And now as we come to Exodus 24, we see the moments when that relationship begins. God shows his people in that moment a relationship more glorious than anything that we might have seen last Saturday. And actually a relationship more intimate than anything we could have longed for over the, over the course of this last week. In Exodus 24, we hear God calling the people then, calling us today, saying, look back, look back, you are my people. 
Look up. I will bring you home. And as we look back, and as we look up, we see here the truth of our relationship with God. Verses 1 to 11, the first, um, sort of, I guess, three quarters of that passage, we're going to spend most of our time on that. But in those verses, the first part of, of, of this moment in, in Exodus 24, as the people are there gathered around the mountain, it's as if these verses call to us and, and, and the Lord God cry out to us, look, look back and know that you are my people. They, they describe God bringing his people to himself. And we watch this relationship take shape in, in verses 1 through to, 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 to 11. It's, as a, it's a bit like we hear a, a, the, the kind of call into a relationship, the consecration of the relationship, and the communion as the people enjoy that relationship. Or if you diff, want a different kind of alliteration, you could have the invitation, the, the initiation, and the intimacy of that relationship. But let's just Take through, um, follow the flow of that relationship as it takes shape. Verses one to two, God calls the people to himself. So there we have, um, uh, the Lord says to Moses, he says, come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel, and worship me. Moses is to call this crowd onto the mountain, into the midst of the mountain, to stand before him as he stands before the Lord. Moses is there standing before the Lord, and then he's to call this, these men from the crowd to stand before him. And as he calls them from the people, they come representing the people. As they come to him, Moses on the mountain, they represent the people coming into that relationship with the Lord. And, and having called that people, the Lord then consecrates that people to himself. He, he sets them apart. He marks them to be what he promised that they would be in chapter 19. I don't know if you remember. A holy nation, a kingdom of priests, a treasured possession. And so in, in verses 3 and 4, Moses, in verse Verse 3, he came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. He, he, he spoke to them God's words that we've heard already in chapter 20 to 23. Those words that said they were rescued by God. Those words that said they were rescued for God. Those words that said that they were given salvation and that the salvation they were given takes this particular shape, the shape of a life enjoying the liberty of love of God and love of neighbor. And so the people hear that, and so in verse 5, they say yes. They say yes, that's the rescue we want to receive. Yes, that is the life that we want to, we want to live. That is the salvation that we want to enjoy. And so, the Lord establishes with them and consecrates them with that relationship. That consecration, that relationship takes shape formally there in verses 4 to 8. What Moses does is he builds an altar and he makes a sacrifice. And we notice he does two things. Verse 6, he takes the blood of that sacrifice. And, and, and in verse 6, he sprinkles it 
on the altar. And then in verse 8, he takes that blood and sprinkles it on the people. And just listen to how he describes what he's done over the page in verse 8. He says, Moses took the blood, and after he throws it on the people, he's done it on the altar, now throws it on the people, and then he says in verse 8, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words that you've heard. This is the blood of the covenant. The covenant is a word that means um, a binding relationship. It's a commitment. It's a promise. And that covenant, that relationship has been made possible by that blood. You see, as in in verse 6, as that blood is sprinkled on the altar, it's as if God is turning to the people. It's a picture to the people of the cost of this covenant, the cost of this relationship. I mean, since the Passover, all those months ago, they've been a people set free at the cost of a sacrifice. The lamb died so that they could come out of Egypt. And now this bull, this oxen died so that they might come in to a relationship with God. Standing there at the foot of the mountain, standing there at the foot of the mountain, the people could see the glory, the majesty, and the holiness of God. And they knew they couldn't approach. Like the darkness encountering the light, they knew they could not step onto that mountain and survive as they stood at the foot of the mountain. And yet as they looked in the midst of the mountain and saw in the midst of the mountain that sacrifice, they saw that God had paid the price, the cost, the sacrifice, which meant that they could come to him. They were to look at that and see, and see that, look, we deserve that death. We trust that sacrifice. We come into this covenant at the cost of that blood. As the blood sprinkled on the altar, it's the cost of that, sacrifice, of that covenant as God turns to them. But then as Moses sprinkles the blood on them, they're being shown the value, the worth of that sacrifice as they are being brought to God. It's a picture of how much that covenant is worth, how precious it is. It's a symbol of them being set apart, them being consecrated, them being made accepted and special to God. The blood of verses four to eight The blood of the covenant speaks of that covenant's cost, speaks of that covenant's worth. Because of that that sacrifice, because of that blood, they're to say, we can be the precious people of God. And so God calls them to himself. God consecrates them to himself. And so now they're able to enjoy communion with God himself. And just look at the extraordinary scene in verses nine to 11. Representing the people, Moses, Aaron, Nadab, Abihu, the 70 elders went up 
And verse 10, they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God. They ate and drank. This is the glory of what they see. They see God, as they describe it, they see God, but actually they see the pavement below his feet. It's as if simply seeing the pavement below the feet of God is too glorious, so glorious that they're so overwhelmed that they can barely look up to see any more. There's the glory of what they see, but yet the intimacy, they see God and eat and drink and drink with him. And the security, verse 11, that the Lord accepts them, does not drive them away, but draws them close. And so when we think of our relationship with God, we're not to think of the images of last Saturday. It is not like watching a coronation. Our relationship with God, however exciting a coronation might be, it's always going to be a bit distant and a bit disconnected. No, our relationship with God is not like a coronation. It's much more like being brought into a marriage. A marriage, wedding, marriages and weddings are probably the nearest thing we have today to the concept of covenant, binding promise, committed relationship that, that we see in this passage here. A solemn binding promise that, that, that um, establishes a new and precious relationship. And, and, and this chapter here is a bit like flicking through the pictures of a wedding ceremony. You, you, you can remember as you flick through the pictures that invitation or, or, or the call um, to the bride and groom to come in that service, or, or the moments at the center of it, the heart of the, the, the wedding service when the bride and groom exchange vows, exchange rings, that moment where they consecrate themselves, give themselves each to the other. And then the celebration, the feasting, the party at the end of it. In Exodus 24, we see a picture of a people brought into a marriage with God. And so, just as you might to a couple who are facing struggles, a couple who are feeling distant over the years, the call of the Lord is to look back, to remember this moment. He says, look back, you are my people. And, and just as you might, call a couple who are struggling or feeling distant to look back and remember the heart of that service, the vows where they each consecrated themselves to the other. So too the Lord says, look back and remember this blood, this blood by which you were consecrated to me. Look back, you are my people. Look back, remember that blood. Remember what this covenant is worth. And remember how precious this relationship is. And as they looked back, and as we look back, we see something precious, but actually we see something even more glorious still. Because when Jesus came, he called us to look back at this moment 
to look back at this picture and to see in this picture, to in it, to see him, to hear the call of his voice, to see in the sacrifice his blood, to taste in that feasting something of the fellowship that we're drawn into by him. Exodus 24 is a picture. It's a picture of the relationship brought to us by Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says in Luke chapter 24. It's there on, it's there on the screens. Luke, sorry, chapter, uh, chapter 22. Jesus says um, these words. He took the cup after they had eaten and said, this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus says, my blood establishes the covenant. My blood establishes the relationship with you. That is its cost. And that is its worth. So look back, Jesus says. Look back. Remember the blood. You are my people, a people bought by my blood. And so this morning, if we're feeling distant, if we're feeling disconnected, if we're feeling discouraged, let's look back and see the blood and know that we are the blood-bought people of God. Our relationship with God came at this price. Our relationship with God has this extraordinary worth. Look back, see the blood, know that we are the people of God. But here's the thing, these verses don't just resound with the call to look back. These verses end by drawing our eyes up. They say, look up, the Lord Jesus says. I will bring you home. Verses 12 to 14, back in Exodus 24, sharpen the focus around Moses. Having spoken, having spoken to God, uh, Having spoken to Moses in verse 1, now in verse 12, the Lord speaks again to Moses. And Moses has been the center of the action throughout this chapter. God's words to the people, the people's words to God. He is the middleman. He is the mediator. He is the representative. And it's Moses now in verse 12 who receives these tablets of stone. Those tablets of stone that will be for the people the sign of the covenant established that day. Having met with the elders in the midst of the mountain, Moses is now called to go from there to the summit of the mountain where God's presence dwells. We stood with the people in verses 1 to 8 at the foot of the mountain. We then moved with those elders representing the people to the midst of the mountain in verses 9 to 11. And now all attention focuses in on Moses as in verses 12 to 14, he moves up into the clouds. 
as he comes away from the crowd in the midst of the mountain up to the cloud at its peak. These verses focus on Moses because the covenant centers on Moses. He is the representative of the people. He is the mediator before the Lord. Where he goes, their hopes go with him. And so let's follow him up to the top of the mountain in 15 to 18. Um, uh, 12 to 14, focused on Moses. 15 to 18, now, now take that focus and follow him as he ascends the mountain. We watch that ascent. And in fact, that ascent has been a theme throughout this chapter. Um, in chapter 19, there were seven times there were words associated with Moses moving down from God to the people. And now, throughout chapter 24, seven times there are words and phrases associated with Moses going up from the people to God. He ascends. He ascends and enters the glory cloud of the presence of God. Moses is the people's representative. Verse 18, he entered the cloud and went up to the mountain. Through him, the covenant has been established. And now, as he enters the presence of God, through him, that covenant is kept secure. He's the mediator. He's the representative. So when the people see him enfolded by the clouds, they know that they have been embraced by God. As Moses enters into God's presence at the top of the mountain. They know that they too, one day, will be brought home as well. The action centers on him because the covenant depends on him and he has been brought into the presence of God. You see, it's one thing to open a photo album and flick through the pictures of a happy wedding day. It's one thing to do that looking back. It's another thing to flick through pictures of a happy wedding day in the midst of a happy marriage. To be looking back and then to look up and see the smile of the one you love. To look and see in that smile safety, security, intimacy. Well, Exodus 24 isn't just a picture of a wedding. Exodus 24 is like a picture of a marriage. You see, as, as people, as the people looked up, they saw Moses enter into the presence of God. And again, as they saw him enfolded in the clouds, they knew that they were being embraced by God. As they looked up and saw Moses amidst the cloud and the glory, they were to look up and see, they were to see the smile of the Lord over them. And in the same way, Exodus 24 calls us to look up. And actually, as it does, it draws our gaze to Moses on the mountain. It lifts our eyes, but as it lifts our eyes, it lifts our eyes further up, and it lifts our eyes Further on, 
Because just as the sacrifice offered by Moses actually points to the sacrifice Jesus offers of himself, so the ascent of Moses up that mountain points us to the ascension of the Lord Jesus to be enthroned in heaven. A few chapters on from those verses we read in Luke chapter 22, we hear the final words of Luke's gospel in Luke 24, verse 50. Just listen to that. Jesus led his disciples out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up into heaven, and they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple blessing God. Like Moses, Jesus ascends into the presence of God, but unlike Moses, Jesus remains there to rule as our eternal king. And just look at how the disciples, look on the screen how the disciples react. As Jesus ascends to heaven, they don't react with a sense of loss. They don't seem to have a sense of distance. They don't fear the discouragement of being disconnected. No, instead, they respond with worship and joy and praise. Because they knew as they saw Jesus enfolded in that, in that cloud that they themselves were being embraced by God. Jesus is the mediator to whom Moses points us. Jesus is the representative for whom Moses was preparing the way. He established the covenant by his blood and his presence in heaven, keeps that covenant secure. And so these verses in Exodus 24 call us to look up, but as we look up, to look further on and further up, they call us to see Jesus and see in Jesus the security that God will bring us home. Because it's one thing to look back on a happy memory. It's another thing to look up and see the smile of the one you love. And so these verses invite us to lift our eyes, to lift our eyes to heaven, and as we lift our eyes to see Jesus, and seeing Jesus to know that while he is there, we live under God's smile. Our mediator, our representative is ascended in heaven. And so he shares with us his relationship with God. All of that security, all of that intimacy, all of that intensity, all of that love. And so Christians can approach the week ahead with that confidence of living that week under the Lord's smile. As we've already heard in this service, Christians can approach not just the week ahead. Christians can approach life. Christians can approach death, knowing we approach each of these with our ascended Lord, sharing with us the love of his Father, living under the smile of God.
And so today, this week, how do we picture our relationship with God? How do we picture it? Do we picture it a bit like a coronation? Do we picture it a bit like a relationship with a distant king? Or do we picture it like being drawn into a loving, beautiful, secure marriage? The Lord God says to us, look up, see Jesus' blood, know that you are my people. He says to us, says to us, look back and see that blood. You are my people. He says to us, look up, see Jesus ascended, and know that one day I will bring you home. Let's pray. They beheld God and ate and drank. Father God, thank you that in Jesus we can see you, we can know you, and we can have this relationship with you. Please, would we be secure in that? Would we enjoy that? Would we rejoice that in that as we look back and as we look up to Jesus in the week ahead? In his name we pray. Amen.